celebrating classics and creating new ones only on the Music Vibes Podcast. Now, here's your host, DC Hendrix. I am your host, DC Hendrix. This is the Music Vibes Podcast brought to you by Orbit Music here in Mishawaka, Indiana. Really appreciate you for joining us and making us part of your day. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. Go ahead and make us one of your favorites and leave us a review. Scroll on down. A gentleman that is very engraved into the soul genre and 60s soul music. Tons of books. Very educated gentleman that we have joining us on the Music Vibes podcast, Stuart Cosgrove, joining us right now, talking Summer of Soul. So before we even get started, go ahead and tell everyone exactly how you fall into this whole soul genre. Well, uh, it's uh, a long story. I was uh, a child growing up in Scotland, where I'm from, and when I was a teenager, I lived in an area of what they refer to uh, as an area of multiple deprivation. And I won a scholarship to a university in America. Now, by the time I got there, I was already um, uh, very immersed in Motown, particularly, and, and uh, I was buying imported soul records. And so when I came out to university, it became a, a deeper obsession in my life, and I've been collecting uh, music, both in, kind of, in all its forms, from vinyl to streaming. And um, I've been writing over the last um, five years a, a major trilogy uh, of the story of soul music across three significant uh, cities. Detroit, 1967, Memphis, 68, uh, and the, most, uh, the final one in the trilogy, Harlem, 69, the future of soul, where I focus on uh, the city within a city, Harlem in New York, and where uh, for uh, the period of the book towards the fall, uh, August and uh, the late summer of 19. 
million billion uh, documentary filmmaking, and he has he has also had the benefit of this unbelievable musical performances that have lain dormant and hidden for for decades. Um, either one perceived to be commercial, no one seemed interested. It was very difficult for um, uh, for producers to clear the uh, the rights to the to, to the films, and it's actually taken this long decades to get it actually out and made into uh, into a film. So all your fantastic books, Stuart, and by the way, I really appreciate all this knowledge that you're dropping on us today, talking about the Summer of Soul. Where can everyone get your books today? I know you wrote these books and you worked really hard on them, so I want to make sure people purchase them and maybe dig a little bit deeper into the story. So where can they get your books? Well, the obvious thing to do is to, um, it's, it's, it's maybe not to everyone's taste, but on Amazon, uh, the books are featured as one of the kind of sold books of um, this year. The books are Detroit 67, Memphis 68, and Harlem 69. Uh, and they're by me, Stuart Collective, I'm an author based in Scotland, um, and you can get the books there, and they'll be uh, delivered to your home. So it's uh, available also at all the electronic book versions as well. So if you like the books rather than the physical copy, you can get them to, to your device. Absolutely great stuff. Be sure to watch the documentary available now on Hulu, Summer of Soul. We're going to be joined by one of the producers here in just moments, Joseph Patel, helped put together this fantastic documentary. So we'll be joined by him soon. But we definitely got to thank the author behind the books and the stories of Harlem of 69, Stuart Cosgrove, joining us here from... Are you? Do you reside in Scotland, correct? Wow. I live 50 miles away from where I was born, really. We're going worldwide today. Thank you so much for coming on, Stuart. Great stuff as always. Yeah, I All right, thank you. You take care. Take care, Thank you. Bye. So now joining us here on the Music Vibes podcast is we are doing part two for this Summer of Soul documentary that is on Hulu. It was just so good that part one just didn't do it justice. We got to do two parts of it as this has pretty much taken over my summer. I know for a lot of people, Space Jam, A New Legacy is taking over their summer, as that's the big talk of the movie world right now. But for me, Summer of Soul, new music doc talking about a summer festival back in 1969 in Harlem. Now, if you just talk about a music festival in 1969, people are going to think, oh, Woodstock. Nah, this Harlem Festival, Summer of Soul, is absolutely taking over right now. We are joined by one of the producers right now who put this together, Joseph Patel, joining us right now. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's let's start with, you know, how you got involved and how you were even approached, you know, being involved with this documentary Summer of Soul. Yeah, well, there's two there's two two points on the timeline. One is I started working on this in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, my journey with this film starts in 1996, which is the year I met Questlove. Uh, I started Mm. my career out as a music journalist um, and my first cover story, I was writing for a lot of rap magazines in the 90s, and my first cover story was on The Roots. And mm. it was also The Roots' first cover story as a band in America, uh, the cover of Rap Pages magazine. And so I flew from the Bay Area where I lived to Philly to interview the group. Um, and after the interview, just Amir and I just started nerding out on music, and we just sort of like clicked as friends. Um, and we've been friends ever since. So fast forward to 2018, I'm working with a production company. My, my career has shifted to TV, film, and video. Um, I'm working at a production company called Radical Media. And they're like, do you know Questlove? 
and I was like, yeah, you know, we, we're friends. We, we go back a long time. He's like, well, we have him in mind to direct this movie. And they tell me what the movie is about. And they're telling me about this festival that happened in 1969. And I'm like, I, I don't know if that <laughs> is a real thing. Like, I've never heard of it. I'm a, I'm a pretty deep music nerd. And I've never heard that. And they're like, no, not only did it happen, but someone shot the entire thing. And I'm thinking, all right, it's one person with the camera. They're like, no, it's four cameras. The footage is pristine, uh, just needs to be restored, and it's an incredible event. And, you know, I think when an Amir had never heard of this, when I talked, I ended up talking to Amir, and he had never heard of this festival. I think the real allure for us individually and together is, you know, this this thing happened in history, and mm. um, it, it should have been a big cultural moment the way we talked about Woodstock, but it mm -hmm. wasn't. And I think, you know, the opportunity for us, if we did this film correctly, um, you know, we, we knew if we did it correctly that you would never be able to talk about the summer of 69 again without mentioning the Harlem Cultural Festival. Mm -hmm. it, it gave us a chance to sort of rewrite the record. Um, and really, you know, we all know the reason why this, this festival wasn't remembered. It's, it, it is because I think for too long, black history hasn't been considered a part of American history. Great. And I think that this film actually works to, to correct that. Yeah, and uh, just uh, before we even dig into a little bit of the movie, kind of getting to know you a little bit, this is not the first movie movie doc that you worked on in terms of music either, right? It's the first feature doc that I've worked at uh, worked on um, at this level. Like I've I've made a pivot from music journalism into video around 2004. I started working at MTV. Mm -hmm. um, I had a show on MTV called My Block that was mm -hmm. a hip hop documentary series. Um, I did a lot of the hip hop coverage at MTV between 2004 and 2009. Um, and then I went on to work a series of media jobs where I headed up, you know, content and creative uh, places like Vice and The Fader and Vivo. Wow. So I've always worked in music, but, um, you know, I had never really worked on it. I directed a documentary many years ago for Vice um, on, on garage rock in America. Mm -hmm. Um and but this is my first real feature that was was you know that was going to come out in theaters um okay. you know it was an incredible experience really really hard the hardest thing i've ever worked on in my life <laughs> um but also incredibly joyful and i'm really um really proud of the the work we did as a team to to make this film what was the hardest part for you with doing the film i think the hardest thing is just is you know the reporting right mm -hmm. um this festival happened 52 years ago. Uh, we had the footage, but none of it was really organized. So, you know, there wasn't a lot written about the festival when it happened. So it wasn't like we can consult a bunch of articles about you know, describing right. the festival to us. We, we had a flyer and we had the footage and we had some notes and we knew who performed. Um, the festival takes place over six weekends, but we had to sort of the first thing we did um, was, was reconstruct the festival based on all our reporting. So who played on what days? What days did the festival happen? Who played on those days? What songs did they do? Um, you know, finding pretty early on in the creative process, we knew that we didn't want to just do a concert film. There's mm -hmm. too much going on in 1969, specifically in Harlem, mm -hmm. um, that if we, if, we, if we just did a concert film, you wouldn't know why the festival was put on. You wouldn't know who the people in the crowd, like what's the temperature of, 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 of Harlem in the summer, the temperature of America in the summer. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in that year. 
And we just we, we knew pretty early that we wanted to give performances, but also context. So you understood why it was important that Nina Simone is on that stage that summer. Um, so doing the reporting, um, you know, figuring out all the stuff that's happening in 69, mm-hmm. um, you know, then, and then, and then the, the, the biggest challenge is finding people who went to the festival. Right. Um, uh, 52 years is a very long time. And, um, you know, it's not like, uh, you can just go out on social media and just find people <laughs> that happened, you know, two years ago. It's like, it's just, it's just not like that. So, you know, we hit the ground in Harlem. We met with community leaders. We met with, uh, we, we visited churches and social clubs and record stores and, you know, um, uh, places in Harlem where we could get flyers out to people to let them know we were doing a documentary on this festival and why we were doing it. Um, you know, and then, and then once you find people who went to the festival, then it's a, a matter of memory, right? The next hurdle is do, what do they remember? Um, and the first couple of people I know we found in, during pre-interviews, like, you know, they, they were misremembering things and, you know, you can't blame them for that because it's a long time ago. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can barely remember what I had for lunch last week, right? <laughs> like, I'd like to try to try to tell me about something 52 years ago. And, um, but then, you know, what we started to discover is with, with, the, with, the, with the few people that we, that we had reached out to that had been to the festival is they remembered it, like, in great detail. Like, they, they were remembering things that, you know, because no one had really seen this footage. It wasn't available for mm-hmm. people to look at, you know. So, so no one really knew it's not like they could, you know, look it up and, and sort of remember what they should remember. Right. Right. Um, they were they, like, they remembered very, very, very crisp details of, of the festival. We realized it really meant a lot to them. And, you know, they had been holding it inside. There's a gentleman, Lucy Jackson, who begins and ends the film. Like he was five years old at the festival. When I heard that, I was like, okay, well, what does he really remember? He's just a kid. When we <laughs> talked to him in our pre-interview, he remembered what fifth dimension was wearing he remembered wow. that they passed out balloons during the second song. He remembered the set list. He remembered that there were vendors around the park. We we knew there were vendors around the park from photos that we got from the New York Times archives that had never been published. So he was remembering things that we had in front of us that no one had ever seen. And we were like, oh, he he really, he not only went, but he remembered it. And he's been holding this memory inside for a long time. Mm-hmm. So when we did our interview with him, we did the interview with him. He tells us all the stuff and then we show him the footage. And that's when you see the sort of reaction he has, right? It's a very emotional reaction. He starts to cry wow. and you realize he's been holding these memories in his head for 52 years. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. And so I just imagine, you know, the, the people that are behind this festival, I mean, did anyone ever like say why it was never released? Like I, I've been looking and it's like, I'd be kind of pissed off after all these years hearing about Woodstock for so long, ranting and raving about that. And I got this fantastic <laughs> festival under un, that I, that I shot or that I recorded a long time ago that nobody knows about. Did anyone ever say why it was never released prior to now? Well, I think there's two parts to it, right? There's the festival itself. Why do we not remember the festival the same way we remember Woodstock? And, you know, even when the festival was happening, it wasn't covered in great detail. Mm-hmm. There's some of the black newspapers that, that covered it. Um, but not, not, extensively there's uh the new york times did one or two articles about it uh but not in great detail um and that's really it there wasn't a lot of stuff a lot of coverage around it and then in the years since like you know even even the people who lived in new york a lot of people who didn't who didn't live in harlem but lived in new york don't remember the festival so so really there's 
the festival itself has been forgotten for 50 years, right? Mm-hmm. No one ever treated it with the same provenance and the same respect that we, we give things like Woodstock. And I think, again, that's part, partly is because I think, you know, historically this country hasn't treated black history like American history. Um, it hasn't treated black history as a part of American history. Mm-hmm. Um, the footage itself, you know, I think it runs into some issues is Hal Tolchin, who shot all the footage, he shot it on spec. He paid for it himself. And he wanted to create five TV specials, national TV specials, sort of to create a cultural moment of what was happening in Harlem. And he wasn't able to do that. He was able to sell one TV special to a local CBS affiliate in New York of just the first weekend and nothing beyond that. And, you know, I think 10 years later, he tried to make it. Uh, he tried to he tried to go out with the material again. And, you know, there, there he wasn't able to do that for whatever reason. Um and in and, and intervening years, I know a couple of people had discovered the footage in the early 2000s and had tried to make something out of this, but, but you know, nothing ever came out of it at the scale that it probably it deserves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my co-producer, Robert Vivalent, he became aware of this footage about 14 years ago, 12 or 14 years ago. And he had been trying to get this made for a lot of years, too. You know, and I think the frustration is that he was finding people on the other end of the table that didn't really get what he was proposing, right? Like they didn't get the magnitude of this, or the cultural magnitude of this. And I think it's only when, when he got, when they got Questlove to sign on as director, that it just seemed like the right story with the right storyteller. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, Amir is such a music, you know, storyteller. He's, a, he's such a music nerd, but he, mm-hmm. he is a storyteller. Um, and I think that just, you know, it, the, the, the climate was right for it. As we're traveling back to 1969, Harlem Cultural Festival held at Mount Morris Park in Harlem lasted for about six weeks and included a lot of performers, you know, like Stevie Wonder, as I mentioned, Nina Simone, like you mentioned earlier, Fifth Dimension, a personal favorite of mine, Staples Singers, Gladys Knight, David Ruffin, no temptations, just David Ruffin. As he said in the movie, ain't nobody coming to see Otis, but just David Ruffin uh, was at the festival as well. Also, a personal favorite of mine that highlighted in the film Sly and the Family Stone, my personal favorite part of the documentary as I'm a younger guy. So, like, I obviously know of Sly and the Family Stone, but getting a chance to kind of, first of all, see them live, because there's not a whole lot of live tape out there on YouTube or anything like that. And Mm. didn't grow up in that time frame. So you guys absolutely nailed Sly and the Family Stone for someone younger like myself. But just coming from you as the producer, obviously, they're all your favorites. You help produce them. But what were some of your personal key moments and performances from the film? I mean, I, I I probably spent more time with this material than anybody, um, you know, with the exception of Amir. Um, and even then, I would probably say I probably spent more time with this. Uh, you know, I'll, I, there's I, there's too many favorites, but I, you know, for me, the emotional center of the film is Mavis and Mahalia duetting, mm-hmm. um, or I shouldn't say duetting because that uh, really undersells it. But mm-hmm. Mahalia Jackson doing "Take My Hand, Precious Lord." the song that Martin Luther King requests seconds before he's shot and killed in Memphis the year before she sings that. And it, just seeing Mahalia Jackson perform is incredible, but she performs that song with with Mavis Staples, who at the time is sort of the young up and coming artist. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and literally passes her the mic and they share the mic. And then Mahalia passes the mic to Mavis to finish out the song. And it's just like, I can't believe that moment sat untouched for so long. 
Mm. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's a personal favorite. In fact, a lot of the gospel in the film I really love. I've, I've never really been a huge fan of gospel music because I just don't know enough about it. Mm. But the gospel in 1969 is changing. The, the sounds of the gospel are changing. Um, I love the Chambers Brothers. Uh, another sort of underrated act that um, you know I don't think really they really got their due, but they're they're a tremendous band. Um, I love Sly and the Family Stone because you know we put them right after the Motown section in the film, mm-hmm. and they're such a contrast, right? They're not they're not choreographed, they're not in suit and ties. They come out on stage looking like they you know exited off a spaceship. <laughs> they're a, they're male and female. They're black and white. And they're wearing, you know, these really, really loud clothes that are not suits and ties, right? Um, Nina Simone obviously is is tremendous. Um, you know, she's she just commands the stage the way like like no other artist in the world yes. ever ever has. Um, yeah, there's just a lot. You know, there's a lot. I think a lot of a lot a lot of stuff to like in that film, and 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 a lot of stuff that you know I've I've probably watched the film a thousand times, <laughs> and I I still get goosebumps in the right places. I still mm-hmm. laugh in the right places. I still, you know, I'm in awe in the right places. And I think, you know, I'm really proud of that, that, you know, what we made. Um, it still, it still holds up to me. You should be very proud. I mean, you guys, I know this is just hitting Hulu, but I believe that this was, wasn't it premiered earlier this year at a, a summer festival or something earlier this year and it won a couple of awards, right? So it, Debuted at the Sundance Film Festival, a very prestigious uh, independent film festival. We won the, both the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award wow. uh, for, for documentary. Um, it was released in theaters on July 2nd, as well as Hulu, um, You know, which is a very unusual circumstance. But mm-hmm. we had 750 theaters around the country, which is an incredible number for a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend watching it in a theater if you feel comfortable. It's we, we, we made the film for the theatrical experience. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's also really good on a big TV at home on Hulu. Um, you know, it's it, mostly it's a movie that you should watch with other people. It's a, we, we kind of made it with a communal feel in mind. It's, it's meant to be sort of um, uh, watched with other people and sort of celebrated in the moment. Absolutely, it should. And, you know, just kind of in contrast, putting everything together with this film, you know, I, I, I got a good idea on what you guys were wanting to get out there for the public and music fans with this documentary as, you know, just appreciate black music. You know, that's pretty that's pretty much the the simple summary that I have from this movie, you know, just completely overlooked this festival. And, you know, and it's not even just about the music. It's about us as people. And this documentary even highlights that, obviously, with so much going on back then sending a man to the moon when you got all these problems, all these people, you know, homeless and just so much poverty issues. So what, you know, as you guys were approaching this documentary, you know, and and now that it's been released, what were you guys exactly trying to get out to the public? What was your message and did you guys execute it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of things all at once, right? It's a music documentary. It's a concert film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really rich story of uh, a time and place in this country. There's a lot of issues that are happening to black folks in 69 that are still happening. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we did, we always knew there were going to be parallels. Um, you know, we started this, like I said, in 2018. And, um, you know, when, when George Floyd was murdered and, and subsequently you saw sort of awakening in this country of the issues facing the black community, um, 
what we realized is we didn't have to be heavy handed with drawing those parallels. Right. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to we didn't have to show you footage of what was happening in the streets because you were seeing it on the news every day last year, you know. And unfortunately, you know, for some people, it's a very short lived realization. But but we felt like we trust the viewer to make the parallels themselves. We don't have to be really heavy handed with it. Um, you know, the issues that we show that are facing people in 69 are um, the same issues we're facing today in you know, police brutality, uh, economic inequality, mm-hmm. um, spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to go to the moon in 1969 when when you could be putting that money to fix, to resolve issues in, in this country. Mm-hmm. And we see that happening this week, you know, with Jeff Bezos. Like, you know, it's like, is that really the best use of money? Um, so I think, you know, we wanted to just make something that were all was all of those things intertwined in a very entertaining, joyful, fun package. Um, and I think that we achieved that. And, um, you know, again, I'm, we had a small but really incredible team make this film, um, and I'm really proud of the work that we did. Once again, you should be very proud. Joseph Patel joining us here, obviously a producer for this movie, The Summer of Soul. As you mentioned, available in theaters and Hulu. Be sure to check it out. Now, before I let you go, we have a segment that we end each podcast with. That is sponsored by our good friends at Orbit Music here in Mishawaka, Indiana. Go get some records. Go get you some music memorabilia. They got videotapes, DVDs, all that good stuff, CDs. Go check them out here in Mishawaka, Indiana. So we have a segment called Drop the Needle, where it's like a record player. It's like we kick back and enjoy a nice little record right on that vinyl record player. So I'm going to give you the floor. Out of all this music on this film, give me one artist and a song that you would like. I'm going to give you the floor. I will let you drop the needle today on one song. Oh, man. Put you on the spot. It has to be a song? Yep. We're dropping the record on one song from the film. Or one artist from the film. Okay, so I'm going to... I'm actually... I'm going I'm to do this. All right, so I'm going to pick the Chambers Brothers. Okay. I'm going to pick the, the, the song time has come which is not in the movie okay but there's a story behind it which is that song time has come everyone will recognize from every movie that's ever been done about the vietnam era in the late 60s i did not know until very recently last couple years that that was done by the chambers brothers and the chambers brothers were black and not only that, but that song, everyone knows the single version, which is like a four-minute condensed version. Mm-hmm. But the album version of that song is like 11 minutes long. <laughs> and it's this really, really groovy, psych rock, like, kraut rock, like, just, just rhythm groove. And it's, it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just an example of, like, the way a lot of black rock artists specifically were framed as not, you know, the, the, a lot of people say, oh, well, there's not a lot of black rock groups. And it's like, <laughs> well, no, there's actually a lot of tremendous black rock groups. Mm-hmm. So that's my needle drop. Uh, if you want to get lost in some really interesting uh, black rock music, Chambers Brothers is the way to go. All right, Chambers Brothers, the time has come today. Let's drop the needle.
Time Travel with DC Hendrix on the Music Vibes Podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on your mobile device. Podcasts by Federated Media.